Well, good morning, church. It's so good to be with you this morning and see your smiling faces out there. I'm Pastor Faye Stevens, one of the pastors here at Mount Horeb, and it's good to be back in the auditorium with you this day. As we begin our time together, would you pray with me now? Gracious God, we thank you that you've given us this time, this day set aside, that we can come here and worship you. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts that we might see you, see you in the midst of this scripture and this message today. Open our ears to hear from you today a, a message of hope, a message that will be transformative for each of us, Lord. Use me as your vessel. Let your words come forth from me, and may your message and your words not come back empty to you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. When I was in high school, I had a big dream. I was about 16 or 17 years old, and my dream at the time was to become a flight attendant for a major airlines. Back then, they called them stewardesses, right? For those of you that might be a little bit uh, older and can remember that, it was in the 60s. And I was so passionate about it, so passionate about it, my mama, who happened to be one of the greatest seamstresses in the world, if she lived now, she'd be in New York designing things. I showed her a picture of an airline stewardess in the uniform. Mama made me a few of these outfits. I wore them to school. I wore them to other places. Talk about focus. I was focused, focused on becoming an airline stewardess. I thought, oh, this would be great. I can go and travel the world and see all these beautiful sights. It's just going to be great. Well, today we're here to look at Bible scripture, right? And we do not have to look very long in the Bible to find people who had very big dreams. The first one that comes to mind to me is Moses. We all know Moses. There have been movies made about Moses. Moses had a very big dream, and that big dream was not only from God's inspiration to him to deliver his, God's people out of Egypt, but also to take them on into the promised land. Now, this wasn't going to be a quick journey. They were going to take the scenic route, so to speak, 40 years worth. It was a big dream. The next person that I think of in the scripture is the apostle Paul. Paul had a huge dream to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the world that was known at that point in time, the farthest reaches, in fact, all the way to Spain. He had that huge, huge dream. As a matter of fact, in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, Paul writes, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me, straining forward toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal 
to the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. He had a big dream, and he was very focused. Fast forward to the 1700s, John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodism, he had a big dream. His dream was to be a missionary to the Americas, to come to America and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the colonists there, the colony of Georgia, and also to the friendly Indians that lived there at that time, that they might come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. In the 1990s, our own Pastor Jeff Kersey, our senior pastor here, came to this church with his family, and he had a God-sized dream. At that time, especially for those of you that might be new here, the church was worshiping on the corner of Old Cherokee and Fox Glen. And at that time, it was a good worship if there were 50 to 70-ish people here. Pastor Jeff, every week, would go into the sanctuary, touch each pew with his hands, and pray, Lord, send the lost. Send those that don't yet know Jesus Christ here. Fill every pew, fill this sanctuary to the brim. It wasn't long until the people, the congregation caught fire with that dream we became known as a prayer-driven church. Today, you'll see it on the vans. It's one of our values here. Prayer makes a difference. We are here in this auditorium today. We are here as God's church, over 4,000 members strong. God bless Pastor Jeff for accepting and helping God realize this beautiful God-sized dream. God bless all those that have gone on before us on whose shoulders we stand now because they were praying for all of us, those yet to come, just as we now here pray for the next generation yet to come. So the dream continues doesn't it? I share all that with you as a positive. Obviously, big dreams are a good thing. Having them is a good thing. Yet, life doesn't always go as we would dream that it would, does it? Life happens. It takes turns, ups, downs, Dream and plan as we might, we know that life is not a fairy tale. Everyone doesn't live happily ever after. Dreams won't come true for some because of sin. Dreams won't come true for some because of circumstances not of their making. Dreams won't come true or can't come true because of illness. 
I think about marriages today. I think we're still sitting at about 50%. Half marriages and half of marriages end in divorce. Weddings are beautiful. The couple comes together. They say their vows to one another before God and those gathered. They leave and embark upon what they vowed to do. Live a life together until what? Death do us part. And then sin enters the picture. Unfaithfulness enters the picture. The relationship breaks apart. The couple ends up in divorce, brokenhearted, sad. All the dreams for the future come crashing down. Sometimes it can be a a God-sized dream, but for us as God's people, we can be influenced by others. We can have a God-sized dream and listen to what culture says, to what other people say. Oh, that you really shouldn't do that. You really shouldn't do that. And then that dream doesn't happen. More often than not, what I see is brokenness because of circumstances that we can't control. I'm the pastor of congregational care here. I'm in my ninth year. And I've come alongside some of you, some in the sanctuary, others that have gone on to the church triumphant. And what I see is this. Life will be going along. Someone will call me. They've lost their job. The company has downsized or the plant has been closed. And they're in dire straits. Their dream for a future. They have to put their house up for sale. They don't know what they're going to do next. They come through my door. Huh. They went to the doctor the other week. There was a spot on the lung or on the kidney or on the pancreas. They're waiting on the diagnosis. They call me. Yeah, it's the C word. Life changes. Some don't make it, some do. The process is a dark time. They need support. And I would say right here, as pastor of congregational care, and I don't mean this flippantly, I'm a sports fanatic, okay? I love ESPN. Love it. But I don't have what they call ESP, extrasensory perception. I can't read your minds. I don't know all your stories. Call me. Call somebody on the team. We want to come alongside you when you're having these problems. People come through my door with sadness because their children. Their children have strayed and gone off the straight path. They come through my doors in grief. Maybe they were about to retire. They and their spouse were planning to travel the world to see it all. And then death comes and knocks on the door. Those dreams are dashed. The dreams are disrupted. The dreams they had won't happen. 
It's the reality of life, isn't it? Well, this week, we conclude our series on King David, a man after God's own heart, a God chaser, if you will. And he has had, through the scripture, some life lessons to give us. If you were here last week or watched it online, you know that Pastor Jeff and Pastor Nick talked about the fact that David didn't live an ideal life, but he lived a real life. He was human. He was flawed, like all of us are, none perfect but Jesus Christ. But we can learn from that, can't we? We learned last week that he was a murderer. Yes, he was. He had the affair with Bathsheba, and as a part of that whole ordeal, he had her husband Uriah sent to the front line, and then he had the troops pull back so that Uriah would be killed. That was murder, wasn't it? Yes. Well, we're going to catch up with David today when he's established as king of Israel and find out what he did when his dream came crashing down. If you have your Bibles with you, would you open them with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 17? I'm beginning with verse 1. After David was settled in his palace, he said to the Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. Nathan replied to David, whatever you have in mind, do it. For the God is with you. Yet that very night, the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build a house for me to dwell in. Now, let me pause here just for a moment because the term Ark of the Covenant is a word you hear in the Bible, but some might be asking, well, Pastor Faith, what is that? Well, what it was is it was a chest. It had gold on it, cherubs on it. But the important thing about the Ark of the Covenant was inside Originally, it had the Ten Commandments that God had given Moses on Mount Sinai. It was sacred, precious. And in the beginning, that Ark of the Covenant was literally mobile in a tent that moved around with the Israelites. So David started thinking, here I am in a palace with all the trappings therewith, and my Lord God, his covenant with us, his house is in a tent. That's just not right. But then he went to Nathan. He went to the prophet, the wise man, and said, you know, I, I have this thing on my heart. I want to build a sanctuary for the Lord. And at first Nathan said, yes, go for it. Go for it, David. You know, God loves you. You're after God's heart. Do it. But then that night... Nathan heard from the Lord that, no, David was not going to be the one to build the sanctuary for God. Let's move ahead now. Flip on to chapter 22. 
First Chronicles chapter 22, beginning with verse 7. David says, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, but this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest, and I will give him rest from his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. What's going on here? Well, David was told by Nathan that God didn't want him to build the house. God came to David himself and said, you've got too much blood on your hands. You were a man of war. You fought many wars in my sight, shed blood. We learned last week he was a murderer. He also had the blood of Uriah on his hands. God chose. Here's the consequences. You're not going to be the one to build my house. David's dream comes crashing down, just like some of ours do at times. Yet you heard from Pastor Jeff last week, don't confuse consequences with condemnation. Don't confuse consequences with condemnation. Yes, David had some consequences, but God didn't condemn him. We worship a forgiving God, don't we? And God forgave David. God had another plan, if you will, for David. Let me say it this way. When the signage reads dead end, look for God's detour. When the sign reads dead end, look for God's detour. Back to my story about becoming a flight attendant. God has a sense of humor. God had another plan and multiple plans for my life. But at that juncture, I became an insurance agent, a property casualty insurance agent. So what I did is I learned to write policies that would um, insure your car, insure your homeowners, your boat, your jewelry, anything material that was precious to you. And then that led me too, working for a software company that wrote the computer program that would do the same thing, that would issue the policies, pay claims on the policies, send reporting to the reporting agencies. And having this job in marketing and sales, I traveled all over the country, a couple of trips out of the country. So I had a lot of frequent flyer points. And the company I worked for back then let me keep them. So I could upgrade to first class. You know where this is heading, don't you, <laughs> already? The man I worked for, Don Caggiola, rightly so, said, you've got to dress the part. So I had a navy blue suit with Agna pumps, a red suit, little red pumps, black suit, little black pumps, white starched blouse, 
Five Points had this great little shop that I could get silk ties. They were wider than the men's ties, and you had to fold it a certain way so it was like a waterfall. It was beautiful. Just like my mama, loving fashion, right? So I'd get on the plane, upgrade to first class because I had the points, bestowing my little bag up on my tippy toes because, you see, I didn't become an airline stewardess because it was too short and I didn't weigh enough. So that was, you know, it just wasn't in the, in the plan for me. But God had a sense of humor to let me see what that would be like because other passengers would come on board. Miss, will you help me stow this luggage? Well, okay. Help them get up. And then they would apologize later when they realized I was going to be sitting right next to them. I had some funny experiences I'll share, too, and then we'll move on. A man got on one time, and this was back in the day when there were no restrictions. If you could schlep it onto the plane through the door, you could stow it if you could find a place. So I'm trying to get settled myself. This man gets on with a transmission. It wasn't real big, but it was heavy. Miss, can you help me get the transmission up in the overhead? So we're wobbling back and forth, you know, trying to get it up there. We finally get it up there. The next one was a lady. Kid you not, Columbia Airport. She had been in the bathroom giving herself a permanent. <laughs> oh, yeah. She walks through the door. I don't know where the flight attendant is. They're never there, you know, just teasing. It was me. They thought I was it. She said, have you got a little shower cap I can put on my head? I got the neutralizer on now. And we're just going to Charlotte. Other stories for other times. I have an appreciation for flight attendants now after kind of semi-walking in their shoes for a little bit. God let me taste it, but God had another plan. I mentioned Moses leading his people out of Egypt and on the road to the promised land. It wasn't long. The people started grumbling. Why in the world did you bring us to this wilderness, Moses? We're thirsty. We have no water. So Moses and Aaron go and they pray to the Lord and the Lord says, go to that rock and tell it. Tell that rock to give forth water. So Moses goes to the rock and hits it a couple times. Water comes forth. The people drink. God comes to Moses and says, you didn't trust me. You did not trust me. You didn't do what I said. I said, speak to the rock, not hit it. For that, you will not step into the promised land. And we know that is true. Moses died on this side of the promised land, but he became a seed planter. He prepared those Israelites. They became mature. They went through a wilderness, kind of like what we go through when we're sick or we have a broken marriage or whatever might happen. They were more ready to cross over with Joshua. I love to say Joshua, don't you? It's a great name. But that's what happened with Moses and the detour that God sent him on. Now, Paul had his heart set for Spain. And he had even written a letter to Rome, the people in Rome, and said, you know, 
there's not a place for me to do the work in this region, and I have my sights on going to Spain, but I want to come and see you too on my way there. And you can help me get prepared to make it to Spain. Go to Acts 23, verse 11. The Lord comes to Paul and says, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. You see, God had a detour for Paul, too. The scripture is silent. We don't know if Paul ever made it to Spain, but he did make it to Rome. God wanted him in Rome. John Wesley made it to the Americas, to the colonists, and he wrote later, it's a bad trip. I did not accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. But history tells us that that trip changed him, changed him as a result in his spirit and in his work, and as a result, it changed and had an impact on religious climate in America. After God told David he would not be the one to build God's house, he gave David a detour too. And we have detours. What do we do next when something happens? Well, David played the hand that he was dealt with faith and with courage. David could have had a pity party, but he didn't. If you go with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, let me read you the prayer that David prayed after he found out he was not going to be the one to build the temple. Oh, Lord, you are God. You have promised these good things to your servant. Now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. Oh, Lord, you have blessed it, and it will be blessed forever. David began to pull together resources to help young Solomon. He pulled together the gold and the silver and the stone cutters, and he called the leaders and said, you've got to support my son. He's young, and this temple, this sanctuary has to be beautiful, the best. It will be known in all the many nations. So, David became a seed planter. He wouldn't realize the dream, but his son would. And you know, I've been thinking about me a lot late, lately. I'm a grandmother. What kind of seeds am I planting? And my grandchildren now, Harper, Finley, Annika, what resources do I have that I can be passing on to them to help them in their future life? I ran across this quote from Billy Graham, and I absolutely love it. The greatest legacy one can pass on to one's children and grandchildren is not money or material accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. And I would hope in Solomon's wisdom and he was a wise man, he would have seen his daddy's character and humility that he was helping his son get prepared to build that temple. You know, we can learn a lot 
from David's life. These lessons have been good for us, but we can learn more from Jesus Christ, the Son of God, because you see, he is perfect. He was perfect when he walked on this earth, but he didn't have an easy time of it, did he? He was tempted in the desert for 40 days. The people were always after him, threatening him. He got discouraged. He was sad at times. He healed. He nurtured. He had to go away and be quiet for a while to recharge his batteries. I'm sure he got weary at times. But the greatest thing that he did with faith and with courage was he went to a cross for our sins, didn't he? He who was sinless took upon himself all of our sins so that we could have everlasting life. And what old Satan thought was a dead end for Jesus? Oh, he's dead now. And even the disciples for a little while, huh? God had a detour. And that detour involved rolling that stone away and raising Jesus from the dead. And now he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, our intermediary, the first of the resurrected. And we have that promise and that hope in him too. He, wrote, he said this, Luke 9, 23, and he said it to all of them. If anyone would come after me, he must decide, deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He didn't say take up your cross every now and then, once a week, once a month, once a year. He said, take it up daily and follow me. Dreaming big dreams is good, but unless your dream has the cross in the midst of it, then your dream will not have God in it. I don't know if this passage, if anything in this message has spoken to you this day. This is what I know as pastor of congregational care. Statistically speaking, I know that there are some dreams that have been disrupted in this place. I know that there are some dreams that won't come true for various reasons. But this passage is a passage of hope for us because God is faithful. God never leaves us or forsakes us. God has a plan for us, and it's for good. So dream, dream. C.S. Lewis says it this way, you're never too old to set another goal or dream another dream. You're never too old to set another goal or dream another dream. So continue to dream those big dreams. And if all of a sudden it gets disrupted, watch out. If it looks like a dead end, God will have a detour for you. He's going to guide you and direct you in the way that you should go. One of my favorite scriptures also is from Philippians 4, 11, and 13. I have it on my keychain. Paul writes, I'm not saying because I am need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. 
That's where we get our strength from. It's from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, the S-O-N of God. Tomorrow, we will have an eclipse to something in the afternoon. Hope you have your glasses. Don't look at it too much. The moon will be able to go over the S-U-N and bring about darkness, right? That's going to happen unless Jesus comes back before then. But here's what I know as Christians. There's darkness out in the world, isn't there? The broken dreams bring upon darkness. But darkness cannot do away with the light of the S-O-N. Do I hear an amen? Amen. One other thought and a dream and a prayer. Between 800,000 and a million people are in the process of converging on this area, Columbia, Lexington area. We know that many of them do not know the S-O-N, the Son of God. My dream, my prayer, is somehow, some way, through us, I would love to see every Christian church in this area full. Can you imagine what that would look like with 800,000 to a million people? Good problem to have, right? Lots of new growth. Pray for that awakening that Pastor Jeff keeps talking about. We can do it. If 12 disciples can do it, we can too. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we come before you We thank you for your word. We thank you for King David, but we thank you most of all for your son, your S-O-N, Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you, Lord, that you give us scriptures such as these to teach us, to transform us, to be the light unto the world. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.